Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, advancing your career today is harder, I think, than it's ever been, and there's a host of reasons. There's a lot of economic pressures, there's increased competition, there is definitely increased uncertainty. Expectations seem to be changing right, left, and center. They hardly stick down for longer than a couple of months, it seems. Leadership commitment seems to move around, and I'm just getting started. We could go on for a long ways. The question for today is how do you tackle the problems that plague you as individuals trying to advance your career? Things like perfectionism, exclusion or feeling excluded, having aspiration and stating your aspiration in a way that doesn't come across as arrogant or inappropriate, having confidence. And by the way, as a leader, how do you navigate all the changing expectations that are really coming and know what you should be doing today as opposed to what happened five years ago. So today we're going to look at this extensive database, kind of in search of a few solutions. And I think you're going to be pretty enthusiastic about what we discover along the way. So my guest today is Jennifer McCollum. She is CEO of Linkage, which is a SHRM, S-H-R-M company, where she oversees the strategic direction and global operations of this leadership development firm. She delivers workshops keynotes, webinars, podcasts, thousands of leaders globally, live and on virtual stages, and a whole host of places. So I think if you Google her, you'll see that she's come up over and over and over again. She's the author of In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO, Overcoming the Hurdles to Change and the Face the, um, Hurdles to Change the Face of Leadership. And she's also a contributing author to Leadership in a Time of Crisis. She's published in Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Chief Talent Officer, CEO Refresher, Real Leaders. I'll stop at that one. And she's a member of Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Wanda, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. Super excited about this book. And I know the book says In Her Own Voice. But I feel like this has got a lot to speak to a lot of people, um, women, underrepresented groups, men, majority men, minority men, leaders. So we've got a whole lot to cover. But the book and some of your work is based on this extensive database um, that you use to draw out some conclusions. Just give us a brief tour of that data and how you used it to help inform your opinion. Absolutely. And I'm so actually so glad you're starting with the research database perspective. Um, at its foundation, Linkage is a firm with a mission to change the face of leadership. And what that means to us is first very figurative. So changing the face of something, changing your expectations about what the best leadership is, what the best leaders do. But it's also very literal for us. And changing the face of leadership means supporting the rise of women and other underrepresented populations in leadership. So back to the data, Linkage has been studying leadership writ large, and then very specifically women in leadership for the better part of 35 years. 
And what I love about linkages data is you can look at the changing trends and themes that we're seeing. So you started with something really important, which is the world is changing. And as such, the expectations for all of us as leaders, regardless of our spectrum of gender, uh, the, the expectations are changing for us. And so what our data is showing is that the best of our leaders are what's called purposeful leaders, but they're also inclusive leaders. So we've started to see this emergence of words and characteristics that you would not have heard five to 10 years ago when it comes to the most effective leaders. And they are words like vulnerability, mm -hmm. transparency, openness, authenticity, inclusiveness. And those are not only the evolving expectations given the uncertainty that we're facing, there also tend to be characteristics where women really thrive. When we look at our data, um, women are well positioned to succeed in these new expectations. So I'll talk in a moment about the second data set, which is what is it going to take to support the advancement of women in leadership? Great. So, all right. So 35 years and the words that we're using to describe leaders are changing. How, like how many leaders are in this database? You know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, kind of? Yeah, it's actually millions of leaders. And so <laughs> the beauty of tracking leaders over, over decades is you've got what's called 360 data. So it's the leader's perception of how well they're doing measured against how well their people, whether it's their peers, the direct reports, or their managers believe they're doing. And here's a little, here's a little funny tidbit that might be helpful to bring this to life. When we started to see really rising out of 2020 with um, whether it was the pandemic or the social injustice and then the, you know, the evolving economic uncertainty that resulted, we started to really look at what does it mean to be an inclusive leader and how important is it to be an effective leader to demonstrate these inclusive leadership capabilities? Um, and these are things like, you know, does this leader create an environment where people feel free to speak up? Is failure tolerated? Like those types of things. And um, when you look at the gender difference, men will rate themselves as slightly um, less inclusive than women rate themselves. But when you look at all of the other raters, they are rating women as significantly more inclusive than men. And this is not to say that men aren't exceptional leaders. It's just to say with the evolving expectations of leadership, women are really well positioned to lead the way here. Right, right. All right. So I take your point that we're finding from others' perceptions that women have a lot of the qualities that we're looking for and leaders going forward. All right. But I want to back up a step and I want to understand. So it's 360 data. So it's managers, direct reports, peers saying what this person is doing well or not so well, and the person reporting on themselves or what they're doing so well. How is it that you're coming up with new words? Like, are you asking different questions? Are people writing in commentaries? How do you know that vulnerability, transparency, inclusivity, authenticity are the new words for our best leaders? Yeah. So, so the, I, I love this. We're going to get a little bit nerdy now for a moment. Okay. That's when all right. You get, when you go deep into the 69 um, leadership behaviors that we measure, they um, they nestle under what we call the five commitments of purposeful leadership. So at the biggest picture, uh, the best of our leaders fulfill five specific commitments. They're what our stakeholders, our followers expect of us. And those very quickly are um, 
inspire, our ability to paint Mm -hmm. a picture, to paint a vision of success, engage, our -hmm. ability to create followership so people can feel like they're a part of this, innovate, our ability to create change from the status quo to give you some competitive differentiation, achieve, and this is a tricky one, because in the past, many of the best leaders would spike on achieve, but achieve isn't the leader themselves creating the results. Achieve in the new environment is creating the conditions, the structures, the processes, the clarity, aligning the resources for the team to achieve the results. Um, so those are the, those are four. And then the middle one is called become. And become is that self-awareness, that courage, uh, that commitment to become a better leader every day. So those are the five broader, what we call commitments. And underneath those are 69 behaviors that we measure. We call those leadership practices and leadership skills. So here's to answer your question. 16 of those behaviors, and this is this is done with data scientists and IO psychologists, 16 of those behaviors continue to rise to the top in terms of its importance when we correlated them with effective leadership. And we studied this across 2019 to 2021. So remember the pandemic hit right in between of all of that. And yeah. we were studying which leaders are thriving during this these uncertain right. and really chaotic times. And those inclusive leadership behaviors kept rising to the top. So the words that I'm using are really derived from what we call our inclusion scale. And I'm summarizing it with those types of words. That's right. It's interesting because certainly if you look 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe, no one was using the word vulnerability. Well, 10 years ago, if I used the word vulnerability in front of an audience, they had no idea what I was talking about. So you had to define it. Like that's a recent phenomenon. Um, transparency, but I think transparency is taking a new turn today. I think it's a, it has a more intense meaning. I'll get your point of view on that one. Authenticity has been around for a while, but you know we didn't worry about it too much. And then this inclusiveness has suddenly become a big thing. And it's not just for a DEIB kind of effort. It's everybody feeling that they're a part of the effort. At least that's what I'm seeing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we can, uh, we can take a couple of those in turn. I want to go back to your transparency for a moment, because it's not transparency for transparency's sake. It's transparency in that I'm going to tell you what I know and what I don't know. I'm going to tell you what I can, but I'm also going to tell you why I can't. And so when we talk about, and this was really important, right? During the 2020 Mm -hmm. period, and, and you, you, you talk about this a lot, which is, with increasing complexity, regardless of your level or your role, comes increasing discomfort, right? And so the ability to be transparent about what I don't know or what I didn't get quite right. And look, I had to look at my staff, you know, two years into the pandemic and admit we cut too far. You know, in retrospect, we cut too far because I was scared. Right. Yeah. I was scared that the company wasn't going to last through this incredible uncertainty of the pandemic. And we made cuts to save the company in the short term, but now I'm seeing the longer term impacts. Right. I made a mistake. You know, and I did it in conjunction with the board and I own that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a level of transparency that I'm not sure 10 years ago would have been acceptable yeah. for a leader to admit that. It. Yeah. I think I think there's some truth in that. So these are the issues that are bubbling up. Um are there other trends that you're seeing that we need to be focused on and aware of? 
So uh, well, this might be a really good time to move into that second piece around inclusion. And, you know, inclusion became a very big buzzword. Well, it started with the D and then the E and then the I. We, you know, the, 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 the trend now, because everybody raced out to hire chief diversity officers, and now it's, it's actually starting to swing back. But I like the way you put it, which is, which is the way we believe, that inclusion is not something that should sit on the side of the desk and an HR responsibility. Inclusion is something that needs to be woven into the culture and the fabric of the company at the organizational level, level starting with the executives, all the way filtering down into the team, the team and individual level. And what we're learning is that it, most of us believe that we are operating inclusively. And in fact, when you look at our self scores compared to other scores on that inclusion scale that I mentioned, all of us, men and women, will rank ourselves more highly on inclusion than others rank us. Yeah, um, there is some gender difference. Men men tend to rank themselves as as more inclusive than others see them. But the importance of that is is not to kind of cast a shadow on how exclusive we are. It's more to create this awareness of, well, wait a minute. If I know that inclusive leaders um, are the most effective leaders, how can I shine a light and a mirror on myself to become more aware? And that's where gathering the data and the 360 feedback is becoming critically important. But you know what? Most of us don't want to do it and we don't want to see it because it's hard. Well, and we want to discount it when we see it. At least that's what I see in my practice. And then I want to justify it and defend it and say, oh, yeah, but that person is unhappy and, 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 and as opposed to recognize that my intention might be to be very inclusive, but how that's being received from other people is a very that's different right. story. And therein and, lies. And that, that trend, Wanda, is, is happens at the individual level. It sounds like when you're doing some leadership and executive coaching, it's also happening at the organizational level. And what's what's fascinating and a little disheartening for me right now, given the importance and, and, and how we know that inclusion at the individual level integrates or correlates to effective leadership and at the organizational level, it correlates to incredible business outcomes. Um, but from a headspace, it's easy to dismiss, discount, deny. So in, men, in some of our clients, when we serve up our inclusive organizational assessment data, which is basically the perception of the workforce against yeah. the organization and the leadership on these inclusion items, it's fascinating to watch the executive team. You know, not all the time, but many times they'll immediately say, you know, well, it's not representative of my market or, you know, that's not what I hear on my team. <laughs> and so it's it's very it's it's difficult to have them collect the data and then to accept the data. Right. Right. OK, so for the record, while we're talking about this, what does it look like to be an inclusive leader? What am I doing that sets me apart? So we um, we have a whole model around inclusive leadership that helps both measure and develop mm -hmm. leaders, and you know there they are things like you know how do I show up in terms of whom who am I engaging, who am I supporting, who am I coaching, who am I mentoring? If they look like me, whether you're a man or woman, whatever your whatever your color, your sexual orientation, if we are supporting people mainly who look like us, by and large, we are not being inclusive. Um, another way to look at it is, uh, or another factor is, how do I show up? And um, if the leader shows up and is doing most of the talking or offering their perspective first, 
shutting down conversation, criticizing ideas, that is a less inclusive leader. You're not creating what's called the psychological safety for everybody to feel like they can contribute without some type of fear of reprisal. So those are those are a couple things. Um, another is, again, back to those words, how open and vulnerable am I to, to be willing to admit not only when you know, things are going well and offering the appropriate credit for that, but how often am I admit that things aren't going well? And to either learn from and celebrate my own failures and make them very visible and certainly create the conditions for others to do so as well. So those are a couple things that we, you know, we talk about under a, a much larger framework called our Delta framework. I think most leaders would say that they recognize that they need to do more listening and less talking. Some of them do a good job of this. Some of them don't do such a good, a good job. We could have a debate. But I think very few people recognize that when you when you as the leader are starting first, going first, that you set the tone for what people feel comfortable saying or not saying. And you are in effect shutting down ideas. And that's that's what you just said. So I see it every day, even, you know, like we're part of a much bigger organization now. And 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 I've actually, and I don't think you'd mind me saying, uh, Johnny Taylor is our CEO of SHRM and I've, uh, Linkage has been integrated into the company. And just yesterday uh, at an executive team meeting, we were talking about a pretty important issue. And he said, and I quote, I have been told by my CEO coach that I tend to shut down conversation. So I am going to intentionally not speak until I've heard from everybody. And I just, I think it's a beautiful example of openness, transparency, authenticity of just saying, like, Johnny just told us what he's working on and now we can help him. Yeah. Yeah. I say that to people all the time, that if you, a, if you don't tell them what you're working on, then they don't notice that you made a change, one. And two, they can't help you. They can't say good job or geez, adjust or some variation on that thing. Okay. Um, you talk a lot, so the book, In Her Own Voice, is about women, but you have this point of view that what we do for women is good for other underrepresented groups, and by the way, good for the majority of men in the organization as well. Explain your point of view about this. No, absolutely. So thank you for raising that. The, the, the literal piece of changing the face of leadership at Linkage is to support women and other underrepresented populations. So women represent the greatest underrepresented population because we're you know, half the workforce at least, but only 30% of the senior leadership positions. And what's most disheartening about it is it hasn't changed significantly in decades. It's changed in pockets. If you look at the board levels, women now make up about a third of new board appointments. That's the, for the first time this year. And when you look at the CEO levels, we've just crossed the 10% barrier in the Fortune 500 this year. So I kind of jokingly say, we now have as many women CEOs in the Fortune 500 as we have men named John. So it just gives yeah. you a sense. And if you look at women of color, it's just, it's far less, there's only 1%. So, um, so we have a long way to go. Now, why is that important? When we believe that if you help lift the largest underrepresented population, others will be lifted as well. But we also know that the role that men play is so incredibly critical. So men, mostly white men, make up more than 70% of the senior leadership and executive roles, at least in this country. It's 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 better in some pockets oh, in Europe. I know you live there. Um, but by and large, it's, it's worse in, in most parts of the world. So why is it important? 
There's that head piece of it where when you look at the data and the business case, it's very, very clear whether it's financial metrics like revenue and profit, whether it's innovation and decision-making metrics or employee retention and engagement, all of those things are much better when you have gender and other forms of diversities represented at every level in leadership. But I learned a, I learned a while ago from um, actually Dr. Tanya Matthews. You may know her as the CEO of the International African American Museum in Charleston, which opened about a, a little bit earlier this year. She said to me, "You know, Jennifer, if you if it were all about the data, we would have solved this problem <laughs> a long time ago." You have to stop talking about the data that appeals to the head and you need to start appealing to the heart. Help mm -hmm. men see the, the influence and the power and the benefit to them. Help men with daughters see that there is a world better for their daughters than a world for our generations. And so I, I actually stopped talking about the numbers and stop and start talking about the benefits to the entire organization, the teams and the individuals in the leadership majority. Okay, so give me the pitch. So yes, we know all the data that says when we have a diverse, I'm going to correct this one, when we have a diverse team and that diverse team feels appropriately included to so their psychological Ooh. safety, we will elevate performance. But it takes both of those, not just the diversity per se, and elevate performance in every metric anybody wants to look at. All right, check. That's the data. And you're right. So what? We've had that data for decades and nothing much has dramatically moved. What's the heart? What, what's in it for men beyond their daughters? What's in it for them and their work lives? Yeah. So this, this is what I love. The work that I love to do right now in organizations is working with those executive teams. And we are, we're doing a lot of work now with, with, with what's called executive sponsorship programs. Mm -hmm. And so when you engage men and women at the executive level, they happen to be far more men still, when you engage them in the process of getting to know and connecting and supporting as sponsors, people who do not look like them. So we do by and large programs that advance women. We also do other, you know, if companies are focused on race and ethnicity, we'll focus with those types of groups as well. When you start to bring the leadership majority together with rising leaders in underrepresented groups, over time with those relationships and with that understanding, and appreciation of difference and what difference actually can bring and what and the magic that can happen when you bring difference together in a psychologically safe as you said in an inclusive culture and an environment the the relationships create the culture which creates the business results and you start to hear this just happened with one of our largest clients you start to hear and i'll tell you about barry barry's the cfo of one of our largest publicly traded clients and Barry is now telling all of his peers, they better get themselves to that sponsorship program and to those sessions and conversations that we're having because it's changing his life and it's changing his team and it's changing his business. And so when the berries of the world start to have those conversations, that's when you know it can stick. Okay. So can you share why Barry says it or how, how is it changing his life? I get it's changing his team because now he's got a different level of talent within the team yeah. or a different perspective, but how is it changing his life? So I, I don't want to speak too much for Barry, but I fair enough. But, but Barry, but Barry would say if he were on this podcast and maybe, and maybe he should be, you know, he would say, you know, I don't think I realized that I have spent the majority of my life like all of us, by the way, you know, 
in a very comfortable zone where I'm engaging and networking and promoting and supporting people who look like me. But as I now start to engage others, in this case, it was, uh, I think his sponsee was an African-American woman. I start to realize and open my own mind about the experiences of others and how her perspective can bring, um, you know, a lot of needed richness into our conversation and dialogue. And I'm now starting to see not only the benefit for her, which is how it had been, at least in his mind before, like I'm only doing this because I have to kind of thing to to how it's going to now enrich my life. And frankly, that happened to me during 2020. You know, as a white woman, I believed that I understood the experience of all women. Right. And then when the, um, you know, when the 2020 racial, um, you know, significant social, the murders happened, and I reached out to, to my friends of color, men and women, and to colleagues and executives, and I said, can you engage in a conversation with me privately? And then in, in webinars to thousands of leaders, I realized that I didn't know their experience. And I had a much deeper appreciation after spending the time. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, the, everybody who listens to me on this podcast knows that I believe fundamentally the relationships, the quality of the relationships are what drive everything. It's what drives our ability to give great feedback. It drives our ability to influence. It drives our ability to resolve conflict. It drives our ability to find talent, bring talent together, to engage. I mean, everything, the quality of the relationships. And too often we don't build relationships with people who are very different from us. And define that in any way you want. I don't care. We don't. And so we create this enclave that is very, very similar. We don't realize how exclusive it is of other people, and nor do we realize how limiting it is for us. And again, I'm, I would throw that broadly about any aspect of diversity. All right. And, and by the way, just to finish that note, yeah. I, think, I think we've had a fairly you know, limited view on diversity, really defining it primarily by race and gender. And look, those are things that are, are fairly easy to track in, you know, in, in, in HR database systems, um, self-reported data. We're now starting to look at difference. When you look at the biggest division, at least in the in the country I live in the United States, this political divide and this perspective on these political and social issues are actually driving such significant difference and division in organizations that we're actually starting to look at how do we measure those things so that we are sure that if right. someone shows up at work with a certain sticker on on on, you know, on their bumper as opposed to another, they're not being excluded. Right, right. Well, and you see it also somebody who's in a largely engineering introverted oriented firm who is not an engineer or introverted struggles to kind of fit in and, you know, vice versa. It goes all the way around in many, many different differences not to underestimate all the importance of the ones you've already highlighted. All right, I want to go back to this notion of inclusivity for a moment, because you have an interesting story about being excluded. Um, That's fairly recent. Tell us about it. Tell us what happened. Tell us about the resolution. So you you threw me with the recent experience. Give me give me what give me a little bit more clue of what you're talking about. So you were talking about um you know, as you were merging the company into Sherm and being remote. Oh, okay. Sorry, I have so many stories. You got to give me a little, okay. a little, a little clue. So, um, there's the there's the story about being less than when I was asked to being take the notes. That's not the story you're talking about. No, um, that's not the story I'm talking so, about. So, I, 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 I'm not sure what you're talking about. But let me let me just go go forward with this whole 
are you in person or are you are you a remote? Are you hybrid? Are you full-time? Are you fully remote? Every company is struggling with that right now. And every leader is struggling with that with right now. So I'm actually give you, it was this week. So this is the, you know, whatever, whatever topic that you're talking about, I, I've experienced it almost every week. My entire staff um, is, is fully remote. So we, we let go of our offices during COVID. Sherm, the company who acquired us is mandatory three days in week. If a week if you live within a 30 mile radius. Obviously that excludes the majority of my staff. They're scattered all over the country and the world. So um, it's when you participate, you know, in a virtual environment with a group and it happened because I'm traveling now on the West Coast, I participated in a critical strategic planning meeting as a remote employee with five of us on the phone and about 45 in person. The entire three hours, I, I, I was... I had important things to say. The audio didn't work. I had I couldn't hear when the when the, uh, the the questions got thrown to the audience. When I wanted to interject, I couldn't get in, and and it left me. And I'm usually in person. I uh, you know I've got my three days a week in the office. It gave me a whole a whole new understanding and compassion for how we as leaders have to create an inclusive environment in a hybrid work structure where some people are live and some people are remote. So I'm not sure if that's the story that you wanted yeah, that's, to Yeah, that, I mean, I, that is the story. Sorry, I didn't mean to give you such curveball on that no, one. No, no, that's yeah, okay. That is the story I was getting for because I want to highlight that there are so many small ways in which people can feel excluded and then you sort of withdraw or shut down because you give up after a while. And just the fact that you have a very strong presence, a very powerful voice, a very strong hierarchical title, CEO of one of the companies of Sherm, you've got every right to speak, but here you are in a situation that keeps you from feeling that you can contribute at your best. Yeah, right. that's right. And, and 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 it might be worth talking about what, if I had to do it over again, and I had yep. to you know, and I and I knew the meeting organizers, right? I just thought it wasn't going to be that big of a deal. But as a result, I, you know, I wasted three hours of my life because I didn't get anything out of it, nor was I able to contribute. And I left, you know, again, feeling a little bit deflated about my ability to contribute. And I'm one of the most senior people in the firm. So this is not about hierarchy. But in retrospect, I think what we could have done is, is uh, created a circle around the video and allowed the people on video to interject first, to ensure that the microphones were, you know, we could hear everything, right. to ensure that if we wanted to interject, a sound would come out and somebody would be moderating both the virtual and the live audience. And, you know, again, we're still learning how to do this three or four years in, especially with the back to office challenges now across the last couple of years. Um, but I would say that virtual versus in-person is creating another form of division, just like gender, just like race, just like sexuality, just like political divide. So inclusion is really important to think about with, with hybrid workplaces. Right. Perfect place, Jennifer, to take a break, because when we come back, I want to talk about what it is you need to be doing as a leader to make sure that the voices are all heard in the room, people are feeling included, and therefore you're getting the best out of everybody in your um, on your team or in your group. So my guest today is Jennifer McCollum. She's CEO of Linkage, which is a Sherm company, and they do a leadership development firm. They're a leadership development firm. The book is In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO, Overcoming Hurdles to Change the Face of Leadership. We'll be right back to dig in a little more about inclusion and talk about some of those other obstacles like perfectionism and being an advocate for yourself 
and so on. We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to Out of the Comfort Zone. With me today is Jennifer McCollum. She is CEO of Linkage, which is a Sherm company focused on leadership development. And we've been talking about her book, In Your Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO. Actually, we've been talking about the data surrounding the development of her book and this whole notion of why rising women in the organization is actually really good for everybody. It's good for the organization. It's good for men. Getting that diversity is sort of key. And we're finding in the modern assessment of leadership, that the leaders that are more transparent, more authentic, more inclusive, more purposeful, more vulnerable are the ones that are actually being the most effective as leaders, having the best results and so on. So this topic, even though it feels like it's more gender focused, is actually really, really relevant. All right. So Jennifer, just to tie up a theme, I find so many people talk about inclusion. They don't actually know what to do. They give the rhetoric, but they don't stop. As you said, we think we're all being more inclusive than we actually really are being from everyone else's judgment. So if you're giving three pieces of advice to any leader, male or female, on how to be more inclusive, what are you telling people? I love this topic so much because we have studied it. And so what what surfaced when we looked at what can we do as leaders and what can we do as organizations to drive the perception of inclusion, which is measurable, mm-hmm. right? The perception mm-hmm. of inclusion in my own leadership or in the organization, three things came up. And so 
at the uh, at, at the the executive level. So if you are in a position of power and authority and you're listening to this at the executive level, what is so critical is that you must lead by example. And I would say this at any leadership level. And we have talked about that a little bit. So what that looks like is, are you discussing respectfully and honestly? Are you empowering others? Are you leveraging relationships and opening your network to others who don't look like you? Are you transparent? Are you open? So things like that. At the leadership level, so again, any leader of team, of project, of cross-functional initiative, at the leadership level, it is so critical to deeply understand and know the uniqueness, the strengths, what we call the superpowers of every individual on your organization. And this takes time, it takes work, it takes building those relationships. But let me tell you, it transcends title, role, race, gender. It's yeah. what is what is your core? What is the core uniqueness and superpower that these people bring to, to work every day? And then the last one is for all of us in the workforce, how do we engage in inclusive meetings? So meetings are the mm. language of work. It's how we get things done, right? Whether it's in person or whether it's virtually, we just told the story about the right. hybrid work environment. I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate it with one more story. Carla Harris, you may know her. Yes. Um, Carla Harris is one of my mentors. She uh, she actually endorsed the book and she'll be with me at our Women in Leadership Institute as the co-chair in a couple of weeks. And she says this, when I walk into a room, and I've convened the room, and everybody is sitting around the table looking at me. I say, I have brought you all together today because we have a big problem to solve. And I have some thoughts about that problem, but I brought you here because I bet we together can come up with something that I would not have thought of. So Cindy, I'm gonna ask you to go first. What is your best idea? And then whatever Cindy says, I'm gonna turn to Raul and I'm gonna say, now I want you to, actually provide the opposing view to Cindy's view, because we need all perspectives on the table. Right. Um, and now, you know, Amanda, you've heard these two opposing spe- What is missing? And it's only then that I'm going to start to integrate my perspective when everybody else and all perspectives have been put onto the table. And I love that. Right. So there's many components of that. One is calling on somebody first, so I'm not speaking and then shutting down ideas. But there is also asking a colleague to critique on purpose. So it makes it possible to say, I agree or disagree respectfully. And then to say, what are we not thinking about? So I've got all of these voices and encouraging that kind of debate. Man, if every meeting were run like that, we would be doing a lot better on a whole bunch of performance metrics. Okay, let's shift gears. Thank you, Jennifer, for doing that, for tying that together. It's such an important topic and we've all got to get it right. Um, Let's shift gears to talk about some of the obstacles that people face, particularly women and other underrepresented groups. And one of those I want to hit highlight first head on is this notion of perfectionism. This belief that I have to be 120 or 150 or 180 percent better than everybody else around me. I can never make a mistake or else my career is over. Talk to us about that issue. Yeah. And and Look, we, we we all have a range of this tendency, but I like to talk about it through the lens of gender because we know that, you know, back many generations, this this expectation of of being perfect has come about fairly naturally, right? If there were so few positions available for women leaders, 
it behooved us to put our head down and work harder and harder and harder, hoping that somebody would notice. Interestingly, over time, that has created this internal bias and internal hurdle that is actually preventing women from rising as and accelerating. Um, and, and actually, as I talk to um, men who are underrepresented in terms of race and ethnicity, they will tell me they feel the same thing. And we call it proving your value. And that's the tendency to believe that if I work harder and harder, say yes to more and more things and to do everything above and beyond what is you know humanly possible with my perfectionist tendencies, I'm going to get something. I'll get the promotion, I'll get the raise, I'll get the, you know, the, the acknowledgement. And that rarely happens. What usually happens is burnout. Yeah. And it prevents us from stepping into, you know, the exceptional leaders that we can become. So what's your advice? How do we keep from trying to keep proving over and over and over and over again how amazing we are? So I'll offer, I'll offer a couple of things. First, the hurdle of overcome the hurdle of clarity. And okay. clarity is another hurdle that that women do struggle with more than men. And clarity is that inner knowing of what is it that I want. It could be in my work, it's usually what do you want in your career, but it could equally be about your relationships, your partner or your health. Mm -hmm. So what is it that I want? And the clearer you can get, I, I, there's nothing more discouraging when I ask, you know, a woman or an underrepresented you know, person, men tend to know a little bit, you know, my experience is men tend to be clearer and more confident in claiming that clarity. But when I ask most women, what do you want with your career in two years? Paint a picture for me. They will say things like, I don't have time to think about it, or success for me looks like success for the team or success for the company, but they're not really in the picture. Or this is my least favorite. If I claim what I want and I don't get it, isn't that worse than not claiming it at all? And so those types of whether they're beliefs or uh, you know what we call the inner critic, don't, not believing that I can actually you know, claim or discuss what I want. Those are things that women really struggle with. The clearer you are, the more likely you can be to start moving away from those things that you're saying yes to that don't align to that clarity. So that's one thing is focus on what's driving you, your purpose, your passion, your joy, get as clear as you can, and then start sharing it with others. And I see so many people who get stuck on saying, I need to be in a particular role. Like, they think the answer of what do you want for your career is I want X person's job. But that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about a different kind of clarity. So yeah, fill in. what kind of clarity, what's an answer look like that's good for you? Give me some examples. Yeah, I, I'll actually give you a personal example. And I, you know, I think like these, I think this is always better to come to life through stories. So in 20, um, in 20, 17, I left my my last publicly traded business unit leader job. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. And so I took a self-proclaimed sabbatical. You don't have to quit your job to gain clarity, by the way. I just happened to take a little bit of time. And I, I put in place a very simple framework that every day while I was seeking this clarity, I would do one thing for my body, one thing for my spirit, and one thing for my job search. And so it was very uncomfortable at first, but you know, over the course of a couple yeah. months, I was having conversations, coffee, sending one email, doing just a little bit of research on 
and I used a book called Designing Your Life. Um, it's a, a book with design principles helped pointed at finding clarity. And I did it with a group of people called my Visionista group. So it's okay. always easier to find clarity with others. And right. over the course of about 90, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep. Yeah. So over the course of about 90 days, you know, I, I moved away from what would have been easy to go to another publicly traded firm and run a business unit in the leadership space to moving toward what might it look like to pursue my dream of being the CEO or at least at the C-suite table? Mm-hmm. Well, I might need to consider moving away from publicly traded companies to 20 to $100 million companies. And what would it look like if I were in charge of the vision, the strategy, the execution, the staff, the culture? Well, would that be at a startup where I could build it over time? Or could I come into a ready-made platform where I could transform an organization? And so I started to just explore these threads and I got clear about the size of company, the role that I was playing, the industry that I was in. I love the leadership and education space. So when I got a call to run an anti-money laundering association, it was an easy no for me because it didn't align with my clarity. And so after about 90 days, I, I explored and discovered the private equity backed portfolio companies. And all of a sudden, an entire new world opened up for me that I didn't mm-hmm. even know existed. And within 30 days after that, I got the job offer at Linkage. So it's focusing on the level I want to play at an organization. Like I want to be at the C-suite table so I can shape and transform an organization. It's focusing on what gives you joy. It's focusing on an industry that you enjoy. It's focusing on the size of company. And then it's focusing on who and where do I find those sorts of companies. And in that case, in the private equity opened up some spaces. Did I get that reasonably right? Yeah. And and, and one another thing I would add is what's the work environment you want? Yeah. You can, when I was raising young kids, flexibility and the ability to work from home was critically important for me. Now that I'm almost an empty nester, that's less important to me. You know, I can travel and I can be a lot more flexible with where I am. So that look at different life stages. It's not, this goes back to your point. It's not the job title or role that you're pursuing. It's all of these other pieces. And once you get that clarity and set the intention and start sharing it with others, things will open up that you didn't know about. And that was my experience. Right. So this is um, the notion that I can't say no if I don't know what I need to say yes to. So, so that's thank focusing you. on where I, what I really want. So I stop overdoing, overproving my value in things that are not getting me in the direction that I want to go in. That's right. So that's, that's one of, and we'll talk about the second thing in a moment, yeah. but it's one of the things that women can do with clarity. Now you can go back to that proving your value hurdle mm-hmm. and you can say, okay, where do I uniquely want to contribute? And I own this, so I can't say no. For me, it was writing the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could, so I myself had decided to write the book. I was going to leverage the full support of linkages, data and frameworks and clients and support, but I was going to write the book. I couldn't delegate it. Right. So that's category one. Category two is where can you advise and delegate without owning? So last year, I delegated the entire strategic planning process to my chief product officer. I had led it for four years. I knew how to lead it. She wanted to step in and lead it as a stretch experience. And it was such a wonderful delegation because she actually did potentially a better job than I did. She really enhanced and innovated the process that I had been running. So that's number two. 
Um, number three is what can you completely let go of and just trust that it's going to get done? So you don't have to play an advisory role. For me, the Women in Leadership Institute, it's our largest product. We have such an exceptional executive director that when people come to me and want to speak or want to you know, get a price point, I just completely delegate it to her. And then the fourth is you have to do it, but you can just do it quickly and easily. So administrative functions fall there for me. I don't want to overinvest there. I'm not going to be perfect. If my expense report isn't perfect, my finance team will let me know. But so where can you just um, kind of check the box and move quickly? Um, interestingly, if I'm giving advice about how you get out of your comfort zone, it's not all that different, Jennifer. So I'd say you have to understand where you're uniquely adding value because otherwise you will spend your time on the wrong things. You won't push yourself out of the comfort zone. And then what do I advise on, but I don't have to own, somebody else can do. And who am I getting on my team to help me with that? And what can I completely let go because somebody else can completely do? And what do I have to, I often say, check the box on, but not invest a whole lot of time and energy on and trust that it will be okay. I mean, it's the same process for getting out of your comfort zone. It's not so what, what you're helping me learn, Wanda, is you know, getting out of your comfort zone and getting out of this burnout because you're saying yes all the time are actually very similar principles. I like that. Probably very similar. All right. So one of these people, one of we talked about, one of the things was getting clarity. But there was another thing you said that was really good for helping you to stop needing to prove your value. And what's that? And that's making sure it's called the hurdle of recognized comp, recognized confidence. So we we know that women are exceptionally and men, you know, leaders are, are exceptionally competent. That's how we got to yeah. where we are. But if others don't see you in that competence, then it's very difficult to get that you know recognition for your excellence. And I would say again, you know, men do a better job than women, and we know this from data about even kind of putting their hat into the ring for a job opportunity that yeah. they're going to need to stretch for, but women will want to be perfect before they apply. Um, so we know this to be true. So the question is, how do we ensure that others see us in our competence? Right. And so we work really closely with, with all leaders, but specifically with women in underrepresented groups to ensure that they're practicing the art of appropriate self-promotion. So they're shining a light on themselves, but also if they don't feel comfortable, they're surrounding themselves with allies, mentors, sponsors, people who will shine a light on them for them. And so the story, the other story we had talked about in preparation for this was when one of my peers at the executive team meeting not too long ago, he and I at a break were bantering about a really important and critical idea for the company. And coming out of the break, Johnny, our CEO, said, you know, give me something, Alex. And he blurted out the idea that we had been talking about. And Johnny said, that is absolutely brilliant. And Alex did not miss a beat. And he said, oh, that wasn't my idea. That was Jennifer's idea. Now, I would not have done that. You know, I wouldn't have said, hey, Alex, that's my idea. But when he did that for me, what happened? You know, I felt included. You know, I felt like my light was being shined for me, so I was more confident. I felt less like an imposter, right? I deserve to be here. I have earned a seat at this table. So that's what I would say. Surround yourself with others who will lift you up and practice the art of self-promotion. And that also highlights what it is that allies and sponsors and mentors and others can do to foster more talent coming through the organization, and that is shine a light on them. Yeah. 
shine on light so other people can see, talk about their work so others can see. And the boost in confidence is just, I think you're right, it's tremendous. Okay. Um, can we talk for a minute? We did talk about clarity of aspiration. I want to talk for just one minute, no longer than one minute. What if I feel that I've been excluded? So I'm feeling on the outside and it happens, let's assume, without intention. What do I do there? How do I deal with that exclusion? So the first thing I always say is, you know, if you feel like someone else has is creating the conditions for you to be excluded, offer them grace. And I'll give you a, another specific example. Um, we were at a, a, a CEO forum um, not too long ago, last summer, and I had been taking the notes that, for our small group work. And one of the men, I was one of the only women in the group, and, and one of the men offered to do the report out. Just out of kindness, I offered him my notes and said, if it's helpful, I, you know, I'll, I'll give these to you. When he, um, for, with no bad intention at all, as and I think he was trying to kind of shine a light on me. He said something like, um, "This is in front of twenty-five other CEOs." He said something like, um, "I'd like to thank Jennifer for taking really good notes, so I could do this report out." <laughs> and I immediately felt less than excluded from this kind of CEO circle, like the note taker or the assistant. And I kind of shut down in that in that meeting, trying to figure out how I was going to jump back in and make myself look smarter for my my content expertise, not my note taking expertise. So Sam, the man, the man who did this, left the conference before I had a chance to talk to him. But if I could have, I would have gone to Sam privately and said, Sam, I'm pretty sure this wasn't your intention. But when you did this, this is how it made me feel. Um, can we talk about it? And that's, I think that's the best way dealing with it privately. Um, in a safe environment, you can also call it out and call it out for others if you see it as well. But you have to have the right conditions to do that. Right, conditions to do that. All right, fantastic. Jennifer, I have to ask my last question because it's my favorite for guests, which is what takes you out of your comfort zone? Lord, I have been out of my comfort zone so many times this year. So, you know, I think it's always the first time things, right? So when I was a first time CEO, I was out of my comfort zone. Now I'm a first time CEO going through an acquisition and an integration. Um, this year, the biggest thing to take me out of my comfort zone was writing this book and kind of overcoming that internal bias and that inner critic saying, you know, do you really know how to write a book and be an author? Are you qualified for this? So that's been uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I love that statement. The first time for anything is always out of the comfort zone until you figure out you mastered it. Like clearly you have mastered with this book and with speaking about the book. Jennifer, what a great job, great um, conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here. My guest again today, Jennifer McCollum, CEO of Linkage, which is a Sherm company focused on leadership development. The book is In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO and Overcoming the Hurdles to Change the Face of Leadership. Great advice for women, underrepresented groups, and quite honestly, anyone on overcoming some of the hurdles we face and trying to get our careers going where we want to go. Jennifer, thanks for being here. Thank you, Wanda. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Certainly check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Send a note or an email anytime and ask us your questions. And with that, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.